0: Okay. I'd like to call this meeting of the Sacramento City Council's Law and Legislation Committee to order. Will the clerk please call the roll to establish a quorum?
1: Thank you, Chair. Member Gear. Here. Councilmember Jennings. Here. Councilmember Kaplan. Here. Chair Valenzuela.
0: I'm here. Um, Vice Chair Jennings, would you please lead us in the land acknowledgement and pledge of allegiance?
2: Be my pleasure. Would you please rise for the opening opening acknowledgement in honor of Sacramento's indigenous peoples and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Nisian people, the Southern Maidu, the Valley and Plains Miwok, the Patwin-Witten peoples, and the peoples of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe, may we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather together today in active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contribution, and lives. Please join me in the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Vice Chair. And welcome everybody and members of the public. As a quick housekeeping item, as a reminder, if you'd like to make public comment on any items on today's agenda, there are comment slips in the back of the room and you could submit them up here to the front to the clerk's table so that you can be registered. Um, Now, diving into our agenda, we have two items on consent. Do any of my colleagues have questions or comments about the consent items? Moved and seconded all in favor, please say aye. Aye. aye any opposed or abstentions that passes unanimously. Thank you Now on to our first of two discussion items item three an ordinance um, Related to community benefits agreement and welcome Leslie up to give the staff
3: presentation Of this long-awaited item. Yes, Good afternoon, Councilmember Valenzuela, members of the Law and Ledge Committee. My name is Leslie Fritchie of your Office of Innovation and Economic Development. And I'm returning to you today with a revised draft Community Benefits Agreement Ordinance. The Ike Square Settlement Agreement with Sacramento Investment Without Displacement, approved in April 2021, requires city staff to work with SIWD to bring forward to council for consideration an ordinance requiring a community benefits agreement for certain development projects receiving city economic subsidies. This timeline shows the steps we have taken since that approval in spring of 2021, including regular meetings with SIWD, presentation of a framework to law and ledge in March of 2022, presentations to our investment committee several times, and outreach to the business community. We returned to this body in April of this year with a draft ordinance. The next few slides show what are the key elements of that ordinance. What it requires is that when the city is providing $10 million of city investment or subsidy for significant development projects, that would require a community benefits agreement to be drafted. The definition of the subsidy is consistent with government code. 53083, as referenced in the Aggie Square Settlement Agreement. Basically, it says that the expenditure of public funds or loss of revenue to the city, such as grants, loans, or fee waivers, would constitute that subsidy. The elements of the ordinance said that all CBAs require compliance with prevailing wage laws, local hire provisions, and designated third-party beneficiaries. Those are elements that could not be required if the CBA um, was triggered or a CBA requirement was triggered. Then there are other elements that need to be considered for a CBA. There are small and local business support, anti-displacement strategies, affordable housing, transportation projects or initiatives. And then there could be some unique project specific benefits that council feels are necessary for a particular project. The ordinance says that council may approve a CBA with some, none, or all of the benefits listed above, other than those three that I mentioned earlier that are required for all. The city manager shall seek community input and develop policies and procedures to implement the ordinance. And those community input process would occur when developing the terms of the CBA and also evaluating the performance of the CBA. So in April of this year we returned uh, with a draft ordinance and you had a lot of comments for us which we appreciate that's why we're here and some of those comments included well what should the threshold dollar amount be is that 10 million dollars too much too little should the threshold be a percentage of project cost should the benefits be scalable should the enforcement provisions be included in the ordinance. Or should certain areas of the city, such as the central city, be excluded? And should council approve the implementation guidelines versus having them approved at the city manager level? And then can standalone rezones trigger a CBA? Um, SIWD at that meeting was directed to look into some legal background on that matter. The committee directed staff to continue outreach to businesses and the development community and solicit additional input so we wanted to talk for a few minutes about some of the things you raised and some of our um, elements of addressing them staff has done more outreach and considered the comments and questions raised we're still recommending a threshold of 10 million dollars versus a percentage of costs the percentage of cost approach has some inherent challenges such as what is the appropriate Percentage is a 10%, 5%, 20%, and what all isn't considered as you're developing that project cost. We also looked at the only CBA done thus far, and that was the one for Aggie Square. And in looking at that percentage, it is only about 3% of the project cost that the city investment invested in the project. In terms of scalability, one of the attributes of the ordinance as currently drafted is that it allows the benefits to be tailored to the project thus allowing for scalability, depending upon the parameters and context of the project. In terms of enforceability, it is addressed in the ordinance by inclusion of language requiring the CBAs to include a term naming a clearly identifiable class of persons as a third party beneficiary, thus providing them some enforcement rights. So we've taken the input, we've made some adjustments and I'd like to walk through some of the changes that are before you today. So we have added a purpose section which describes the need to balance our economic development objectives as a city with the goal of promoting inclusive economic development and providing community benefits. Per SIWDs, we've adjusted the definition of affordable rent to a more statewide or standard approach. We've clarified in the definition of development subsidy that bonds did not refer to Mellarus bonds, CFD bonds, or similar types in which the repayment was passed through to the developer or property owners. And then we've added some additional language in the policies and procedures section, specifying that the policies and procedures that the city manager may adopt include accessible and comprehensive community input process. And I wanted to touch on that last point for a, a brief moment because we've been working rather extensively with SIWD on those implementation guidelines. And they would outline processes for developing the CBA if one is triggered, and would focus on approaches for the community input, as well as metrics and reporting. So this process has not been an easy one, but staff have tried to strike a balance between the views of the various stakeholders and interests while maintaining flexibility and ensuring that the council has the ability to tailor the requirements of a potential CBA to the parameters and circumstances of each project. We ask for your consideration today, and per the terms of the settlement agreement, we'll bring this forward for consideration by council. If council approves, staff would continue the development of the implementation guidelines. I want to acknowledge as I'm giving my presentation the work of Ellen Sullivan, my colleague in OIED, and Michael Sparks, who are invaluable in the ordinance that is presented to you today. I know that we have speakers on this item, so we're open to your questions either now or after you've heard the speakers. I believe SIWD has a presentation also that they would like to share. Thank you for your consideration of this item and for the input of the stakeholders who have assisted us in this item's development. So we're open to questions now or later, as the chair would like.
0: Thank you, Leslie, and thanks again, as you mentioned, to the whole city team, who I know has been working many an hour on this. Um, let's go to SIWD now and then do public comment, if that's okay. So sure. Is who's going to speak on behalf of, oh, Did there's Ms. LaCluse. Okay. Perfect. And do you have any slides or, no, just, okay, that sounds
4: fine. <laughs> thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you, Long Ledge Committee, um, for having us. My name is Tamika Lacluse. I'm the vice president of Sacramento Investment Without Displacement and the executive director of Sacramento Community Land Trust. The folks here behind me are part of a coalition of organizations, organizations that work and embrace and advance social justice, anti-displacement, and protections for the folks here in your city. And we've listened to the community members. The community members want a community benefits agreement ordinance that will truly, truly help them to live their best lives here in the city to be able to have the climate protections, to have the transportation that they need to get to and from their everyday lives, to have housing protections, to be able to live in in a community where their small businesses are protected and advanced. A community benefit ordinance agreement can really be a model not just for the cities around Sacramento but cities across the United States and we need a robust ordinance that really addresses the some of the root causes of the issues that we see today on our streets and in our communities. The ordinance must expressly give residents a voice in decision making both in the, both in the CBA agreement and in monitoring and enforcement of the CBAs for the various neighborhoods. The community must have a direct role in CBA negotiations, and along with the city and whatever project sponsor. The current ordinance doesn't provide residents a role in this process. Communities want new investments, but significant new developments in our neighborhoods must benefit the people who are currently there, the existing residents, the folks who voted for you, They must eliminate potential harm and displacement. The current proposal does not ensure residents are protected or benefit from development in their neighborhoods, plain and simple. Specifically, the ordinance must guarantee minimum benefits for anti-displacement, affordable housing, transportation, workforce development, and again, small business protections. And while we agree that the ordinance should only apply to major developments, the the city's proposed ordinance would would apply so rarely that it will not protect or benefit our vast and diverse communities. The current proposed threshold is just too high. So we understand and we thank Leslie and Ellen for these past two years of working on this language. But it's now time to take this before the full city council so that all of your council members can vote on this we think it still needs some work though and we implore you to to challenge yourselves to do that work so i don't know if anyone behind me has anything to say but thank you very much thank you
0: miss luclus and everybody for joining us SO NOW WE'LL MOVE ON TO OTHER PUBLIC COMMENTS. Um, MADAM CLERK, DO WE HAVE ANYBODY SIGNED UP?
1: WE HAVE TWO SPEAKERS ON THIS ITEM. FIRST IS MICHELLE WILLARD, FOLLOWED BY LIZ LORAND WILLIAMS.
5: ALL RIGHT, I FEEL LIKE I LIVE HERE WITH YOU GUYS. JUST KIDDING. ALL RIGHT, GOOD AFTERNOON, COUNCIL MEMBERS. I THINK YOU ALL KNOW WHO I AM. I'm Michelle Willard, and the Chief Public Affairs Officer for the Greater Sacramento Economic Council. Our organization is in opposition to this CBA ordinance that has been presented to the Law and Legislative Committee. After careful consideration, we have determined that there is no feasible way to avoid serious damage to the city's economy and reputation should this ordinance move ahead. We share the goal of increasing prosperity and equity in the community through the creation of high-quality, sustainable jobs, we prove that with our digital upskill program and definitely want to go into our underserved communities and help people out of poverty and make sure they get high wage tradable sector jobs. This ordinance would work against these goals by reducing investment and job growth, ultimately, hurting low income and underserved communities the most. Competition for investment is global, and I can tell you, someone who does it day in and day out, it is hard to get investment in the city of Sacramento. The city of Sacramento cannot afford to impose uncertainty, cost, and erroneous regulations on prospective investors at this crucial juncture. I think it's important to hear perspective from industry when making robust policy decisions. I spoke to a prominent CEO nationally um, in the construction industry who said, quote, the cost of construction is driven higher by these types of agreements and it limits the competition. This is a hard pill to swallow for an industry that has already seen unprecedented cost increases since 2020, over 40% in some cases, and a significant labor shortage. This policy does not provide an inclusive economy, especially for those in our underserved communities. It won't create jobs for them, which ultimately, I mean, you can pass the CBA, but if I can't bring investment into the city of Sacramento, why why even work on, on, this, on this policy? Kind of pulling the cart before the the horse here. Um, So with these comments, I hope you consider um, not moving forward with a CPA. Thank you for your comment,
1: your time is now complete. Our next speaker is Liz Williams.
6: Good afternoon. Good afternoon Chair, good afternoon committee, good afternoon staff is Loran Williams speaking on behalf of the Downtown Sacramento Partnership and the community we represent in the heart of our city. Downtown Sacramento Partnership is here as a steadfast partner to work in concert on bringing forward data-driven solutions to addressing the conditions of today and tomorrow. While we support intentional and inclusive economic development, we continue to oppose this ordinance as written and ask this council to reconsider recommendations outlined in our position letter sent to you earlier this week in addition to our policy amendments today we urgently request essential city exemption as a one-size-fits-all policy does not consider the fundamental differences that are inherent in infill development and the value proposition our downtown provides as the regional job creator and primary generator to the city's general fund our intention is to support healthy market signals during a time when cities are facing some of the toughest challenges they have ever faced proposed ordinance such as the one before you today could have deleterious effects on key transformative infill projects, such like the rail yards. When looking at the CBAO as part of several economic development policies being currently proposed, we ask that you see these initiatives and consider them as part of a holistic discussion on how Sacramento is working towards prioritizing sustainable fiscal future for our city. Through incentivizing expedited housing development, that will support long-term climate goals. We would like to continue to express our appreciation to staff for their engagement on this item as we work together to build well-balanced policies that will bring vibrance to our city. Thank you for the time today and consideration.
1: Our next speaker is Chris Orem, Norm, followed by Rashid.
7: Good afternoon Council Members. Chris Norum, North State Building Industry Association. Um, I want to just start by uh, thanking the staff for their engagement with us and uh, for actually including some of the language we uh, suggested on the uh, bond funding on the, the Melrose bonds uh, to helps clarify uh, that a lot of the funding for our projects actually gets routed through the city and implementation and we didn't want to have that mixed up. Um, we still do have some concerns that just the overall message that sends to the investment community out there. Um, And then specifically in housing, you know, under existing established case law, there has to be a clear um, you know nexus to charge more to us. Um, And so I think that the existing language is a little bit loose in terms of what its effects would be. We've suggested that there be um, clarity in the language about that this is not intended to captured an existing or just a routine housing project, Um, and so we would ask for council to provide that direction to staff to work with us on something that would clearly outline that so there's not not confusion upon implementation in the years ahead. Um, I am also a little bit concerned about the definitions of affordable housing where it's mixed with um, uh, regular housing in in many projects, and you could unfortunately net or um, capture some of those projects, so I'd like to work with staff um, on those definitions before this goes gets a full hearing. Um, if the staff, or if the board was so uh, willing to entertain that. Thank you.
1: Thank you for your comment. Our next speaker is Rashid, followed by Andrea.
8: Hello, everyone. Uh, Rashid Sadiq uh, with Lift Up Love Always and a new member of SIWD. And the reason I joined this was because of the fight for the people. What I hear today is the fight for development, for the downtown corridor, for the rail yards, for old Sacramento. What about the people that voted you in your seats? What happens with them? We're in a crisis situation with homeless everywhere at your front door. This is an opportunity to do something bold, do something new. Don't do what other cities haven't done. Do what they need to do, be bold, do something new. Do something bold for your people who are in need in these zip codes that have been identified in the CBA. This is an opportunity to make a change, make a positive change. Yeah, it'll be a little bit of a, a hit on some of these rich billionaire developers. Yes. But look what it would do for your constituents that voted you in. You don't know understand? Ms. Kaplan. Is you busy enough to pay attention? I I hear you, but you're not looking at me, so I'm, I'm concerned that your buy-in is not there. And I, I live in your district now. I'm in District 1. And there's problems all over Sacramento, not just in our low-income areas, but also in our, you know, kind of middle-class areas. This CBA will give opportunity to everyone. If you take care of the most vulnerable population, everybody rises. Everybody rises, and we need to stop thinking about developers who have billions of dollars and they will still come. They will still make money. They may not make 10% less or 20% less, but what about-
1: Thank you for your comment. Your time's now complete. Our next speaker is Andrea.
9: I apologize in advance because I'm suffering with allergies but good afternoon Chair Valenzuela and committee members. My name is Andrea Cao and I'm here on behalf of the Sacramento Asian Pacific Chamber of Commerce and we represent the interests of the over 6,000 Asian American and Pacific Islander businesses throughout the Sacramento region and we provide technical assistance and advocacy support so businesses can scale and expand their operations. Thank you for your commitment to ensuring economic growth and development in Sacramento with the Community Benefits Agreements Ordinance Proposal as it shows the value this city has placed on supporting the diverse and local small business community. The community benefits agreement ordinance proposal is the movement and reform we need to provide new unprecedented opportunities to the approximately 13,000 local small businesses in the city. Upon close review, we note that the draft ordinance as currently presented is silent on the value that small especially minority employers can play in delivering important projects for the city of Sacramento. We encourage the inclusion of the following language to provision 5A as referenced below. 5A provides small and local businesses with support such as technical assistance, increased access to capital or resources for building improvements, along with the commitment to support small business utilization to promote economic growth and development. The Small Business Utilization Program, also referred to as SBUC, in partnership with the SAC Asian Chamber and city staff, aims to promote economic growth, foster innovation and competition, and supports local communities. The inclusion of this program in the city's community benefits agreement would yield invaluable results and create equitable pathways and opportunities for local and minority small business owners to fully participate and work with the city of Sacramento. We're grateful for the opportunity to provide feedback on the city's community benefits agreement ordinance proposal. Sometimes that's a mouthful to say. Um, And we look forward to continued discourse and ensuring the diverse.
1: Thank you for your comment. Your time is now complete. Chair, we have no more speakers on this item. All right.
0: Thank you everybody for coming to speak and thank you again to both city staff and SIWD for all of the months and months of engagement on this it was helpful to see the timeline and I know some of my colleagues have been involved in this from before it was a twinkle in the eye here so I want to appreciate all the work that's gotten to get at this point point. and I also want to thank the city attorney's office for pre, um, sending a notice to the members of this committee that you know we did the city did enter into an agreement and you know part of the settlement agreement was that we would send this to the council for consideration and so I think that is something that they're looking for from us today it doesn't mean that you can't get to the full council and still say no I don't like it it just means that at some point procedurally this needs to get to the full council and I want to thank SIWD for allowing so much additional time past that settlement agreement so that some of these questions and comments could be incorporated and deliberated on Um, so that's just my preface for this I do have a couple of comments of my own Mostly because no one's in the speaker queue. Um, want to uplift the Asian chambers commerce about small business utilization when feasible, would love to see their recommended, recommended language in the ordinance, I don't think it conflicts with the intent of the language that's already there and I also think as was mentioned, it, it aligns with the city's already Existing partnership with the asian chamber on the small business utilization program and I think that makes a lot of sense Um, And I do want to echo some of the concerns that siwd had and so I know and appreciate that, you know, My colleagues on the full council may disagree, but I do share some of their concerns, and I just want to say that out loud in terms of predictability, because one thing that I say to the development committee at large about this is that we engage in these negotiations all the time already, and they are very ad hoc processes. Um, People come to us for support, and it really depends on who the council member is, what type of support it is, how it's going to work. I see this as a way to create greater predictability and certainty for developers so that they know what's expected of them before they come into the community. Otherwise, someone who comes in my district is going to be asked to do something different than they might get in district two or district one. And and that sort of inconsistency, I think, also contributes to to uncertainty for everybody involved. Um, So as someone who's sat at many a table um, with the staff here in this room on on different agreements, I just want to say that I think the predictability and certainty is a benefit to everybody. Um, And I would just like to repeat my one comment from the last meeting about requiring council approval on the policy policies and procedures. I know that it makes folks anxious that that means the advisory groups would be subject to the Brown Act, but I do think that the whole point of this is to ensure greater community engagement and through the process. And I, there is a lot in that policy and procedures document that I find really compelling and important that I would hate to see change by a future city manager without the city council having the opportunity to, to weigh in. So those are my only comments at this time, um, but I would love to entertain a motion to move this to council from my colleagues so that we can continue the discussion. I think staff's taken it as far as they probably can without further direction from the full council. So would love to hear my colleagues' thoughts. Vice Chair Jennings.
2: Thank you. I uh, just want to make sure my mic is on. Thank you very much. Um, I want to thank everybody who came out to speak today. Um, we appreciate that very much, hearing your opinion and your thoughts on this. Um, uh, and, and I heard the, the question Loud and clear, is this a fight for the people or the fight for the development? For development, and um, so I too have uh, some concerns that I'd like to raise, and I'd like to hear from either staff and/or my colleagues about these concerns, um, and, and start a robust conversation, um, so we can make that decision to take it before the full council. Uh, concern number one is the subsidy definition too broad or should we look at limiting this to direct financial investment? Concern number two, is the $10 million threshold too low for the application of a CBA? I heard the presenters, and the question wasn't whether it's too low, it was whether it was too high. And so maybe I should reframe the question and say is it too low or is it too high for the application of a CBA? Concern number three, There is an unquestioned need for housing. However, should we look at current existing housing projects to exempt them? Concern number four. What about existing projects like the rail yards? Long-term projects that have multiple needs. Should we exempt them? And my last concern. I'm concerned about the potential impact of having a third party beneficiary component to this agreement. If the city is the signatory, why would it be needed? So I'd like to put those on the table and have a a dialogue either between staff and or my colleagues and start the discussion.
0: Thank you, Vice Chair. I don't know, staff, if um, you'd like to respond to any of that or if you'd rather hear council discussion or committee discussion, I should say.
3: Let's see. So um, what I heard is, let's just take them one individually, if we could, Councilmember Jennings. Um, the subsidy d- definition too broad, or um, should it just be limited to dollars? Um, I also will um, ask my <coughs> legal attorney to, to chime in, but um, in the settlement agreement, it references the government code section, and uh, the definition that we utilized for the community benefits agreement ordinance as drafted is tailored from that uh, government code and so um, if we if we narrowed it made it even um, more defined than what is currently included and the reference to the government code um, there may be some ambiguity as to whether we're fulfilling uh, what was outlined in the settlement agreement but i'm not an attorney and I have one to my right, so he might want to add something as well.
10: Yeah, council member, as drafted the ordinance, um, the definition comports with what the settlement agreement required. Um, if you were to recommend narrowing the definition, um, it probably no longer complies with the definition.
3: Okay. So the question of whether it is too low or too high, I think that is a question that many folks have uh, have asked. Um, I think the uh, direction that we have received um, throughout is to really look at um, having a CBA requirement uh, for significant um, economic development projects. And so we did uh, go back in time. I looked at you know potentially almost 20 years of investments, and there are um, A few projects that are over that $10 million mark, but a lot of projects that are under that $10 million mark. Those projects that are under the $10 million tend to be very um, specific and defined projects like uh, the renovation of the Citizen Hotel, and and many of them done under the time of uh, redevelopment. The ones that are over that $10 million mark, certainly um, the Golden One Center and, and Aggie Square are the ones that come to mind and looking at ones in the future uh, that may involve that level of subsidy. Maybe that's the MLS stadium or maybe that's uh, development of a hospital in Atomos, just looking from a dollar's perspective. So we tried to hit a a mark kind of in the middle between those, being very knowledgeable and uh, informed that um, things over $10 million of investment the council, obviously, uh, thinks through every, every one of their decisions very carefully, but it really uh, does kind of set a mark for those significant economic development projects that have an impact um, more broadly than just the terrain of the project itself. So question number three, unless you have a follow-up that, of that, on that matter. <laughs> so um, the unquestionable need for housing, that comes without any any editorial comments certainly we do need housing of all ranges and and all um, affordabilities. so the question of exempting housing um, as a as a full mark or just exempting affordable housing um, maybe you could add a little bit of clarity there is in the ordinances drafted an exemption for those projects where 50 um, percent or more of the units are affordable there is that uh, exemption currently included in the ordinance but um, if you're point is to exclude all of housing. Um, maybe I could seek some clarity on that and, and answer it. Okay, then um, ongoing projects such as the rail yards, which will be um, ongoing development project probably for many years to come. I think that's a policy question uh, for the council, whether uh, you want to uh, exempt those projects or exempt certain areas of the city. So I don't know that I have necessarily um, a, a staff uh, comment on, on that matter. Um, I think it is important to, um, to make sure there's an equitable approach as we go forward with, uh, with the ordinance. So, um, But I think that's a policy call that uh, I would actually um, put back to you, but certainly open for, for more dialogue on it.
0: And I think the final question was around the third party beneficiary. And that. Yeah. And that's a great question for the City Attorney. Yeah. Hello. Yes.
10: Um, so the settlement agreement required that the ordinance is brought forward for council consideration, um, have a provision that allows for community enforcement of the community benefit agreement. So the ordinance that goes forward to council needs to present that option. And having an identified group of people be a third-party beneficiary under the contract, under the community benefits agreement, is the only sort of feasible way that we could come up with to implement this term. So, again, the ordinance that's presented to Council needs to include that. That doesn't mean that the Council necessarily has to agree to that.
0: And it's, is it required, or is it just an option for CBAs moving forward if it was adopted as currently drafted? Like do, are we required to have a third-party beneficiary in yes, the current? Sir.
10: Okay, thank you. So, as currently drafted, there must be a third-party beneficiary
0: okay other comments vice chair okay we'll go on to the vice mayor
11: uh thank you very much first i mean boy this has been quite a quite a saga you know and where we are today but but i i've had the opportunity to be part of um the the start of this and even well before um you know chancellor may and aggie square started with our focus on what could we do to revitalize Stockton Boulevard? What are investments could we do to begin to streamline, streamline the permitting process to help um, the construction of housing and affordable housing, uh, to address issues of transportation and looking at uh, you know, how, we, how we increase options for folks? And how do we create more local job opportunities for families so that they don't have to leave um, their neighborhood and their city? And uh, so I, I wanted I wanted to put that in the context here because, that that's what sparked uh, you know the w- the work that led to the CBA, because regardless of whether Aggie Square happened or not, the city was still committed in figuring out how to address those, and because of it, we do have you know construction happening right now on multiple sites on Stockton Boulevard for affordable housing. Uh, we do have in plan now. Uh, a robust conversation about a bus rapid transit system down Stockton Boulevard. Uh, And we've looked at how do we provide more uh, business opportunity at the Fruit Ridge Center, although I wish they would have saved the old uh, mid-century modern neon lights, the the Fruit Ridge uh, Shopping Center has been remodeled and it's now uh, bringing new life to the boulevard. Including a uh, uh, you know a Dutch Brothers, which I, I don't I don't get the attraction, but it's great that it's there and active. You know, there's a long line all the time. But um, so uh, all to say that that uh, that was the the impetus to provide for the neighbors there, and part of that was this CBA. So to the uh, to the point that I think that we wanted to get out of here is make sure that that in an area like that that was encompassed that it it met those localized needs, and I think that 's uh, an important factor that that always shouldn't be brought up and, um, and so I worry about something way too broad and way too general as well, but to the chair's point and to council's point here we have an o- we do have an obligation to get a CBA legally to the council for consideration um, you know I appreciate council's clarity on this um, on having the that the settlement agreement requires us to include the definition of what a subsidy is uh, I think I may I may have concerns about all of those specificities in that um, uh, and then um, the second definition about the third party agreement we instituted a, a different model for the Aggie squared CBA where it's an ordinance and the city's held to the standard of executing its uh, its public law um, to do that um, and um, and I think that I I prefer that approach over this but my understanding from council here is that the settlement agreement is very specific about making sure that that option is included in that. Is that, is that correct?
10: Yes, it is. Okay,
11: good. good. So, um, so I think those are important things for us to consider in and in if there's a motion to move forward here today, which, which there should be, I think we're legally obligated to try to get something to the council um, in some form or another. Uh, but I do have concerns. Uh, number one on the housing piece, like we've been, this, the city's done, as much uh, tremendous effort on the zoning and planning, and our even our general plan and permitting process, and I'd hate for something to frustrate or convolute that aspect. So, I would prefer a, uh, a motion moving forward that just keeps it clean and include this and takes out housing out of that aspect. I think we have enough complications right now on on that front. Um, uh, and bear in mind the CBA that we did do included. A negotiated uh, aspect where we were able to put in 43 million of our mid year budget into affordable housing that we put on Stockton Boulevard. Of, of that, some of that we did on Del Paso and some of them in the central city, but a big chunk of it was in that area. Um, uh, the other piece here is we, we have had a, um, I wouldn't call it a, uh, 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 what do you call it, uh, a doctrine, but, uh, but very much a, a policy about creating some level of uh, predictability. And I think I'd, i probably disagree with the chair's point in this. We've tried to create uh, predictability with folks who are planning on pipeline projects. So I think the points that uh, are brought up about um, something as, as far as the rail yards, and I had an opportunity of, to walk out there and see through the project. And as great as an inspiring and, and the, the decades of work that it's been, it's also a very fragile project. Um, and uh, and I, I worry about the fragility of some of these um, uh, uh, I wouldn't say grandiose uh, inspiring and inspirational projects that I think could transform an area that's been forgotten and neglected for um, you know since uh, since you know the, the the early starts of our city so um, I think it's it's prudent to think through a uh, a motion that considers uh, something that at least cuts that aspect out I understand the a concern about the central city but that seems to be a you know also a very big chunk of of uh, of the ordinance but I, at, at least uh, uh, having seen where we are in our in our conversations with the um, the uh, authority uh, on the and what I mean by that the EIFD authority for the rail yards and then looking at what's being projected out there I worry about our ability to actually execute that project or is it going to be another half a half a century of of uh, land that we're trying to clean up So on that aspect, Um, and then, um, and then finally, I just, I, you know, there's, there's a give and take here. One, um, the reason we're pushing hard to try to bring in new investments is for our residents to be able to have local opportunities, high wage jobs, not just retail jobs, um, uh, which are uh, essential for our city. Uh, low-wage jobs, which, you know, unfortunately, some of our service sector jobs are in there, and we made progress in pushing that. But making sure that we're finding ways to bring in, you know, the, the those careers that have upskilling abilities that don't necessarily always require a four-year degree. So uh, there, if we don't bring those in, then um, uh, then we have less for our students here or for our, our folks here. And at the same time, we want to make sure we're, we're making sure that the development community and the business community are doing right by their community, so that's the tr- tricky balance we're we're, put, we're putting forward here. so those are I think the, um, I think the questions that my colleague here, the vice chair, brought up are, are very prudent to focus our conversation around about what kind of motion comes out that um, that we present to the council and I, I think that this committee has an obligation to present uh, something to the council that fit within the terms of the settlement agreement. Um, uh, that the city was party to. And I know some of my, my colleagues here weren't party to the settlement agreement, but those are the uh, the challenges that we face here. So let me stop there, Madam Chair.
0: And, uh... Appreciate your thoughts, Vice Mayor. Um, Council Member Kaplan.
12: Thank you, Chair. Um, I just want to echo the concerns of the Vice Chair and Vice Mayor. Um, I mean, one of the greatest challenges we're, we're facing is a little bit of that that unknown as a local government, how do we encourage robust economic development that includes high-wage jobs, while ensuring that our surrounding communities don't fall prey to gentrification. I mean, we saw that, unfortunately, during um, COVID. People from San Francisco were moving here and easily paying way more than a typical Sacramento would pay for housing, thus further causing uh, our housing crisis. I always come from that balance is, is our key to how this ordinance is framed. Um, How does this impact economic development, future housing, benefits to the community, job training, community investment, and so far? Um, I too want to echo what my prior two colleagues said about the implications of this ordinance on housing projects. And any attempt that this might be to include master development projects, because I'm concerned it might also run afoul of state law, SB 330. uh, And and projects that come into play are considered uh, full. You know, uh, fees are frozen. Would this be something that uh, does run afoul to what state law says? So I would uh, support and entertain that we make very clear that single-family housing development multifamily, standalone housing uh, projects uh, master plan communities are not part of uh, the cba or cbo however you want to claim it we i mean we're under a eight-year housing plan we're already falling behind this was just recently adopted 2021 we got eight years to build 45,000 units which is an obnoxious amount yearly um, and we're not even getting close to building 5,000 housing units, which we know is part of the reason that we've got our unhoused crisis. So where is that balance? Because I will always go back to where is that, that balance? Um, specifically, I will just say, you know, I've got Greenbrier and Northlake. 1,200 units are planned and coming in. Half of the community is developed, another 1,200 are coming. Um, I have to be very mindful that we don't do something at the city that with the high cost of financing, they're already not. Uh, they're already discounting the sales on the house. The high interest rates. That we don't do something that stymies more housing. While we need community benefits. That where is that again? Balance on what we're doing. Um, Specifically, uh, as staff has mentioned, which I wanna say thanks to staff and everybody who's been working on this, I was non on council when this, when this came about. Uh, so it has definitely been something that I read and reread and try and uh, understand um, because I know community benefit agreements when they were created are really about big projects. You know, and how does that affect the surrounding community? But uh, in my district, we have the old Arco Arena site, uh, which is now called Innovation Park, which will include a hospital school housing. Um, I uh, am not of mind that this should be included in the community benefits agreement because this is going to be a for-profit hospital. It is already going to cost over a billion dollars, but they've already triggered a 20% requirement for affordable housing is already going to be constructed there. There is already a PLA in place which spells workforce housing, local hire, and many of the other things. And uh, I am working and staff is working with an EIFD, which will also include community benefits that will be included in there. So we need to make sure that as we look at CFDs, EFIDs that are in my Natomas area, that those are not included in what would trigger the 10 million because that is negotiated directly so it's um it's not something i i, I want to see you know in in something that is presented to council i think council Member jennings you brought up uh, a really interesting question on a third party beneficiary so here's my question to legal counsel just because an uh, agreement has a provision in it doesn't make it legal why is this provision legal just because somebody signed a settlement doesn't mean a a provision is legal why so i don't expect you to answer this on the spot would love for you to follow up um but that's what i haven't heard just because it's in the agreement i mean it's legal
10: in the settlement agreement in the
12: settlement agreement yeah okay because i just want to make
10: sure I understand your question
12: yeah so the settlement agreement says this has to be in the ordinance but it doesn't mean by putting Mm. that Provision, putting that requirement in a settlement agreement means that it's actually a legal provision that we're allowed to put in in a community benefits ordinance.
10: Okay, Am I, I making sense. I understand your question.
12: Yeah, so that that you know that was a, a really great question that just brings up just because something says you shall do something doesn't mean. Um, it's legal one of the things that was not brought up and I had mentioned previously uh, and I think should be presented as an option for the full council to look at um, is very clearly uh, making sure that housing is not in um, that we any zoning changes are not included in the definition of benefits I would like to see the downtown corridor be exempted and then uh, on the threshold of triggering the, uh, the ten million, which is in three point one five six point zero six zero, the ten million dollars, it should be annual, or it should be every twenty four months, reassessed, not sixty months, in alignment with uh, inflation, and that adjustment should begin in twenty twenty six, not in twenty twenty seven. And then the question I don't feel like I fully heard is, on the accountability, who's charged with monitoring this? Well, I get the settlement agreement has certain things, but what is the city's obligation in this? I'm
3: going to- Well, I'll speak to that, and then you can add, perhaps. Um, So it would be, uh, since we would be a signatory to the CBA, um, and we would envision that every CBA has monitoring requirements, that it would be the city staff obligation to monitor uh, progress under those terms.
12: And so then that brings up, what is the cost to implement?
3: Well, I think the cost to implement will uh, depend in part on how many um, different Benefits are included in the CBA, so if there's multiple benefits, I think there's some exponential cost to that versus perhaps one benefit. So it's a little bit hard to quantify, but uh, we could, uh, prior to going to council, um, do some uh, analysis of case studies as to estimated uh, cost for implementation based upon some parameters.
12: And I, I think that's fair. I think it would be appropriate that in the write-up to council it does say, if this is adopted, here's our Draft estimate subject to change of what it would cost to implement because I think again balance We have to look at holistically. What is everything the city is is doing and do we have enough staff? um, To handle this and if we don't what is the cost of additional staff and are we making sure? um, We're doing something very mindful uh, that can be implemented so um, Not an easy thing. I can't say that I am Uh, comfortable with how it is drafted right now I think it needs a little bit more work uh, but I understand what the uh, settlement agreement says
0: great thank you everybody for all of the thoughtful comments Um, I will say um, you know I think based on the discussion we had last meeting zoning is very clearly exempted because we can't quantify it that was part of the legal analysis um, discussion that the city attorney had with the SIWD Um, also, I cannot ever recall us giving $10 million to a housing project that wasn't affordable, but if there, if I'm wrong on that, let me know. <laughs> uh, just, uh, I mean, that would be great <laughs> if we gave that much money, especially to affordable housing projects. But, um, so I guess then the, the question of the motion on the table here, I will say that, um, I mean, I don't really understand the utility of exempting market-rate housing. Um, or other specific, I think I have a lot of questions also about how to define pipeline, like is it a sparkle in somebody's eye, does that count as a pipeline project or is it like actually in the planning process and agreements have been drafted and certain steps have been taken so that we ensure, but I have no objection to, you know, if projects are like going forward, I mean, obviously, as city policy, we don't change requirements if someone is already midway through the process because that would be disastrous for some projects and I definitely understand that but I guess I'm curious about how we define pipeline and when you think about something as big as the rail yards with so many components you know it's like how do we really define and I know uh, assistant city manager Jasso and I've gone back and forth on like how do you even quantify something like the rail yards when you have an EIFD that isn't tied to a specific project so, like would that even qualify under this ordinance or would it need to be specific project based things which I think probably based on the reading of this ordinance as it is, would be necessary. So I guess the question is, we've given you a lot of food for thought, staff, a lot of things to include in the next staff report, I think, in terms of discussions, but um, would love to entertain a motion to advance this to council for consideration. Again, keeping very clear that a vote today does not mean a vote tomorrow and that, you know, we're really just following through on the procedure of getting staff's analysis on some of these questions and points that have been raised um, so that the full council can deliberate since we've given you a lot, um, staff, and want to give you a chance to be able to think through and discuss those things so um i see a couple of my colleagues punched up so vice chair and then the vice mayor
2: yeah i I just want to um make the point that um i want the motion to include that when it goes to the full council that it goes in the effort in 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 the area of a workshop because I feel like a workshop gives us exclusively the amount of time to be able to focus on the item and focus on all the different areas that we've talked about, catch our colleagues up, and really have a robust conversation of moving the agenda forward Um, to the degree that we can have um, a facilitator as well who is uh, versed on the item I think might help us tremendously as well. Uh, But it's just trying to do all this in a regular council meeting mm-hmm. with all the other requirements, I don't think would benefit the council or benefit us mm-hmm. or the public. And so in a subject of this matter and amount of time we spend on it, I would recommend strongly that we do it in a workshop environment. Okay.
0: Yeah, that's fair, especially given as council Member Kaplan mentioned, we have three new colleagues um, who were not here during the very robust discussions that have been happening over the better part of the last year and a half. So that would be good. So happy to entertain a motion and vice
11: mayor a great thanks uh yeah and i think i remember you uh, you and um the chair and uh and council member vang and laloe had just been seated when we yeah. took the vote <laughs>
13: it was your first we just dove meeting. straight in yeah
0: <laughs>
11: so yeah there's a lot of history here yeah. um, well look I, I here's what i think i'll, I'll propose here uh, number one let's um, uh, move the item to council um and uh, request that it be done um, in a format as indicated by uh, the vice chair here. Um, uh, it may require then in, in some cases, one or a longer meeting to be able to discuss it. Uh, two, um, you know, uh, I think I'm gonna leave the 10 million number there since we haven't been able to identify that, but I think between now and council, um, the trigger number um, I would ask staff to do their due diligence with, um, you know, respecting the Brown Act with the, with other members of the council about the that number, um, that's still a, an issue. So that's more of a staff direction, but let's leave that in there. Um, I think I've heard here from my colleagues, and I and I I just I, I feel that at this point we just we should be clear about excluding standalone uh, housing projects, um, and. Um, at least moving forward to council there may be some changes during council the um the 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 year requirement i think 2026 that council member kaplan i think uh, gives us ample time i mean by the time we approve this moving forward i mean we're it it just our process itself is going to get us close to that but at least it gives um, those in the in the business community that are actually out there talking to investors and potential folks, the ability to understand what the ordinance does and impacts, and whether it has negative effects, and gives us the bandwidth to come back and and look at um, is it uh, is it is it meeting its due diligence. Um, and then uh, I think there was last one the twenty four month assessment, inflation. inflation factor. Um, so I, maybe I, maybe I could I I. I agree with that because it gives us more a better understanding of, of what inflation is in the in uh, in a two year cycle. So, um, but maybe if there's a is a question maybe for Leslie in your shop, why 24 month versus 60 month? And because I would be I would be inclined to be much more concerned about you know uh, what we see uh, coming down the pipe. Then
3: yeah, I believe we included the term of 60 months to uh, kind of have it um, a bit of a steady. A set of expectations for developments that might be in the pipeline. So um, before we moved up that mark beyond $10 million. So I think that's why we gave it kind of a five-year, um, you know, set at the $10 million before we um, adjusted it upwards. So it was to establish some predictability for this first five-year period. First, it gives so,
12: a- Vice Mayor, if I can just say why I yeah. suggested 24 months. One, that's in alignment with the construction cost index that every two years, uh, especially school construction, they look at what is the grant amount that should be given to school districts based off of construction. So five years is really too long because we know the cost goes up every year. So the predictability is an alignment when you do 24 months is what it just says is that the 10 million benefit factor goes up according to inflation every two years. Not that anything else changes, just that we're keeping up with the times. I mean, we've looked at inflation in construction has gone up 20, 30, 40% in one year. So, um, but there is uh, the engineering news and review. There is a Western state standard that is looked at, has been analyzed, and I think it's only appropriate when you look at how much construction and everything has gone up, that I don't think we'd be doing our due diligence if we didn't adjust it accordingly, and that's uh, why I suggested.
11: Understood. Those. I'll 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 uh, agree with the 24 months, but I do want to. I think we've got some time to dive into mm-hmm. that and and see what uh, you know. I mean, there's obviously reasons why our school districts use that, and they um, uh, and they have a much tighter margin sometimes than we do. So. Um, Let me let's let's go with the 24 months and then I'd like to make sure that we dive into into that for a little bit more. Um, And uh, and then as as far as um, I'll I'll make this more of a direction that is to have staff put together, um, you know, what uh, what would be um, the question of pipeline, you know, and um, what I'm hearing from my colleagues and I feel the same way is there are certain projects that that are, you know, in a I would say a very fragile, uh, you know, economic ability to even execute. So, I'd like to see like which ones those are. Is it, uh, you know, is there a definition for um, what we consider the rail yards? Is it the EIFDs as a boundary? Is it, you know, uh, a specific plan, you know, a model, or a specific plan definition? Uh, that that seems to be what I'm hearing here. And so I we I don't want to try to you know, identify that specifically here, but I think we should be clear by the time it comes to council about if there is gonna be an exemption, then which one, uh, uh, you know, what is the definition for that? And, and today we heard the entire central city, we heard innovation park, we heard, you know, uh, rail yards, and so I think uh, rather than trying to hash that out, let's, let's work through on what, what exemptions and what uh, the definition of a zone would be or a project would be that's a pipeline project. So that's more of a direction than, um, than a specific language here. Let me stop there um, and see if staff uh, understood a little bit of those, those points there that I've kind of chicken-scratched on my notepad here from the conversation.
3: Yes, Council Member Guerra, I think uh, for me I, I understand your direction and uh, if we ask, ask for clarity um, after this, but I, I think I'm clear on what your direction to staff is.
11: Very good. Let me, let me stop there and see if my colleagues, if I articulated what our conversation was.
0: Yeah, and I'd love the um, city attorney, if you want to weigh in, and I also just want to think about just timeline, because I support the intent of having like a workshop discussion, but are, is there any sort of back-end timeline we need to be aware of, or has that been sort of tossed out the window with the fact that the timeline was <laughs> well, like I'm looking months into months ago? The audience and, and, <laughs> <not> all, yes. <laughs>
3: and capturing uh, Gabby's, uh, Gabby's smile, because it, uh, <laughs> at this point in time, uh, we have um, an extension of the settlement agreement, uh, which uh, took IT TO JUNE OF THIS YEAR SO WE'RE ALREADY uh, A LITTLE BIT uh, BEHIND BEHIND TIMES I MEAN WHAT'S uh, A FEW to, MONTHS BUT TO BRING friends. IT FORWARD uh, BUT uh, I THINK THE POINT IS WE'RE MOVING FORWARD WITH THE PROCESS WITH CITY COUNCIL DIRECTION SO um, I WOULD HOPE THAT WE COULD Um, talk with SIWD about uh, extending that timeline, perhaps till the end of the year, but we'll certainly look at uh, council um, calendars and um, look at timelines for workshops. But I think uh, they've heard uh, your comments today and the desire to have a more um, extensive conversation. So hopefully they'll work with, uh, with staff to adjust that timeline appropriately. Thank you, and City Attorney, you look like you're itching to say something.
10: Yeah. I, I just wanted to make the comment about the uh, workshop format. That's fine, but ultimately it does need to go to council for a As an item. vote. Yeah, yeah. correct. No. no, this that the motion
11: is to send it to council, and uh, let's but, do a
0: workshop first. Yeah, exactly.
11: And and the thing is, is that you know I don't I I don't think it would be fair for when we have 40 items on the agenda that this is. <laughs> Uh, Bunched up and that's what I'm hearing from my colleague here is that that we need to not only for the public But also for the council
0: members who haven't been involved to be able to have that uh, that level of conversation So I love it when there's 40 things on the consent agenda. Actually. (laughs) 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 I just I love reading contracts. I love all of it Um, So do we have a second to the vice mayor's motion? Awesome moved and seconded all in favor. Please say aye aye Any opposed or abstentions passes unanimously. Thank you all. And thank you again, SIWD. I know a lot of you don't get paid for this, so just (laughs) want to acknowledge. Thank you very much for your (laughs) comments. All right. As the Chamber's transitions here, we will move on to item four, ordinance amending various city code sections related to solid waste management. Hello and welcome. Hi,
13: grab the, the magic wand. Uh, Good afternoon. I'm Erin Treadwell. I'm the Waste Compliance Manager with the City's Recycling and Solid Waste Division. We're part of the Department of Public Works. Could I please ask folks in the chambers to keep it down so we can hear the staff presentation? Thank
0: you. Thank you, Madam
13: Chair. And uh, we are bringing some code updates to you uh, today uh, regarding uh, solid waste, and I'll jump right in. Uh, There's uh, two big drivers as to why we're bringing these updates to you. Uh, One is our favorite law, SB 1383, the short-lived climate pollution reduction law, which uh, is what's been driving a lot of the changes in the solid waste uh, world in the last couple of years. Primarily, it's the um, food waste and organics recycling law. It touches a lot of things um, just beyond waste. And one of the requirements with that law is that we have to make sure all of our code is updated and in alignment. So much of so the changes and updates before you today are to meet that state requirement. Um, also, um, this is the third update we've brought, um, and the other uh, reason behind that is a little history lesson. Uh, I know. Uh, Uh, The vice chair, um, vice mayor is familiar with this, but in 2019, uh, a joint powers authority, known as the Solid Waste Authority, um, dissolved. That JPA had been in existence for more than 20 years. It uh, regulated all of the commercial solid waste, both in the city of Sacramento and in the county of Sacramento. The county decided in 2019 they no longer wanted to be part of the JPA. They wanted to regulate everything just within their own jurisdiction, and that meant we had to set up our own commercial waste regulatory um, arm fairly fast and had to bring some code in uh, expeditiously in uh, 2020. We committed to coming back with an update to that code, and that is also part and parcel of what we're bringing forward to you today. Um, I am going to walk through the chapters, the highlights, just in order, and we'll start it off with Chapter 5, Food Vending Vehicles, Food Trucks. This is a 1383 uh, update. Um, When food trucks are vending, I like to say vending in the wild, uh, they will need to have not only just garbage containers but also lube bin and uh, green or brown organics containers uh, to collect the waste that's generated at their food truck. And then they'll be able to take that back to their commissary kitchen and, and source separate keep it source separated and, and disposed of there. We did put some um, protections in, both in this and in the special events section we'll see next, um, so that if food, tr- food trucks, if they're part of a special event, cannot be the only um, receptacle for food waste. Um, Special event uh, organizers will need to make sure that there's enough receptacles for the entire event They can't just say oh, there's a food truck. They'll handle it for me We wanted to to keep the onus off the food trucks in that circumstance In construction and demolition we have to um, we're updating our code to meet CalGreen requirements about two years ago the state um, updated the diversion rate from what um, comes out of construction and demolition debris that needs to go from 50% to a 65% diversion rate. We've actually been requiring the 65% diversion rate um, in the last year with our C and D permits, but we just want to make sure our code is in alignment with um, the update from Cal Green. Special events. So this is also another area where 1383 is coming to play. Uh, we um, all special events that are permitted by the city um, will need to accommodate both blue bin and organic recycling along with garbage and make sure those containers are co-located. Um, hopefully, you've started to see some of that that's already happening in some of the larger events that have been occurring. Um, we also are um, been working with YPSI on the uh, permit process and events that will have uh, 500 or more staff and uh, attendees. Uh, are going to be needing a waste plan as part of their city permit. There's already a piece in the city permit for a waste plan, but we have to have some more extensive information, if you will, um, to review that plan, make sure the right number of containers are uh, being ordered, also that placement's correct, get some maps. The good news about these kinds of changes is that um, in events of this size, we have franchised waste haulers who the uh, special event organizers hire. These haulers are very familiar with special event um, requirements. They're already implementing them in other jurisdictions. So they'll be a partner with us as we work through um, what each event's going to need and make sure it's, uh, it meets SB 1383, but it's also easy for the uh, event organizers to implement. For events that have 2,000 or more, we are required to report up to CalRecycle, a post-event uh, report as to what the diversion was. This is actually, a different, a different law. It's not 1383 per se, but it certainly uh, dovetails with what 1383 is requiring. Um, So as we roll out the permitting requirements for, um, or stipulations related to waste, we'll have the post-report requirement as well for anything that's 2,000 and up. And most of these requirements, there has been a, a small mention, if you will, in the special events chapter 12 related to waste. We're now going to move all that into our own chapter 1324 um, so that um, special events will point to it, but we will be the ones as the um, uh, subject matter experts to help review that part of a, an event permit, work with the event person, work with the Ipsy, and make sure everything is, uh, meets 1383. All right. Residential solid waste. So um, some small changes here. Uh, We service 132,000 residents every week. And uh, part of that is we are going to have to be doing route reviews as part of 1383. Uh, We have um, 89 routes. And we will have to review every route every year for compliance. So we've updated our inspection authority for when those containers are out on the public street during uh, their collection timeframe for our uh, our lid flips and inspections. Um, we also are revising um, some of our container storage requirements for when uh, containers are not out for service and making them more flexible. Uh, we um, 1383 uh, does have some limited exemptions, very limited. And so we need to make sure our code matches what their uh, limitations are related to exemptions from um, those requirements. We're codifying the junk pickup appointment time. Now we've had our household junk pickup program uh, for more than 12 years. It's very popular. And the policy is is that you put your, your pile out 24 hours before your appointment. Uh, come to find that was not in our code, so <laughs> we've had it as a policy. Uh, we just want to update, make sure our code reflects reflects that policy. And um, you know, over the life of the city, we've we've called things all sorts green things: green green lawn and garden, um, loose in the street yard waste, green waste, food waste all of that is now kind of being um, wrapped up into one article to address organic waste and it's all of those things falling under that chapter. So that was a bit of a cleanup. Uh, On the commercial waste side, as I mentioned, we brought code in in 2020 uh, rather expeditiously and we wanted to do some cleanup in that now that we've been operating as a commercial regulator for the last uh, almost three years now. Uh, we, Even though uh, the JPA dissolved, we're still good friends with our, our county counterparts, and we do. <laughs> we call it the great divorce, but um, we get along great, and um, we're raising the children well. Just kidding, with the franchise haulers. But we do like to make sure that our code um, aligns with the county code, since, for, particularly for the haulers that we regulate, it's nice when we're playing pretty much out of a similar rule book. So um, they've made some um, definition changes, and some wording changes, and we just are kind of. Following suit, um, we are codifying the minimum service levels we need um, for organics and mixed recycling in the commercial sector. We have over uh, 7,000 commercial generators we regulate. Of those, about 1,700 are multifamily units and are multifamily properties, and they're the ones in particular that we need to make sure um, um, have the minimum service levels for um, set for the organics that they need to um, uh, offer for their um, residents. Um, We um, are adding a couple of customer service improvements into our code Um, since we've taken on the regulatory role We regulate haulers. We also regulate generators. I look at us as somewhat of a better business Bureau for commercial waste So we certainly want to make sure when the franchise haulers are providing service to our generators that you know There's some some standard customer service um, goals and requirements in there such as you know response times to requests for information for their service agreements um, when they need to the cancel service they can do it through email and written mail and not um, a, a 60 day notice through um, registered and uh, certified mail that seemed a little a little 20th century for us so we wanted to update that um, and then the last piece is our franchise fees and the use. Our current code is franchise fees are used for commercial waste activities for the compliance that we are implementing for 1383 commercial side of the house, including food waste and food recovery efforts. Um, But there are also a couple of other commercial waste activities that we would like to use the franchise fees for. One is the landfill operations uh, and the fair share. Uh, You're familiar with Sutter Landing Park, also known as the 28th Street Landfill. Uh, It was closed in 1996, uh, but it was operational for more than 50 years. It still requires some care and feeding, if you will, to keep it a happy, quiet landfill. Uh, and, but there are costs associated with that, and those costs right now are completely borne by the residential rate that we charge our customers, but there's certainly over 50 years of use out there, a lot of commercial waste that is uh, uh, marinating under, <laughs> out there at, uh, at uh, 28th Street. So uh, we feel it's only fair to use some commercial uh, franchise fees to help uh, pay for those costs, and it certainly would reduce the pressure on the residential rate by taking on some of those costs. The other is um, we are not allowed to use um, ratepayer funds for any illegal dumping mitigation. So over many years we have used different sources of funding that aren't ratepayer sourced to mitigate illegal dumping. A lot of that illegal dumping does occur in the commercial corridors. So we plan to use franchise fees uh, to help uh, address illegal dumping and and mitigate it in the commercial corridor area, so we want to update our code. So that's another um, eligible expenditure for us. Um, a quick timeframe, and then I'll be ready for questions. Um, we initially drafted this code in uh, almost a year ago, and took it out to stakeholders, including um, our franchise haulers, and uh, also yipsy and special event staff. Um, several meetings, uh, we took that input, uh, redrafted, and had the city attorneys review it. It came out of the attorneys in August of this year, and we had another second round with our stakeholders, had uh, two meetings um, within the last week. And um, today we're before you with law and legislation, um, and hopefully uh, with passage today uh, we can go to um, council next month. Uh, And two things I do want to point out. One is we have a slight a slight time frame or time um, limit on one piece of this uh, related to the franchise fees. We do would like to plan for budget for that, and we would need that passed so we could do that in December and, and update our budget accordingly. The other piece I want to bring to the dais is the input we got from one hauler uh, that we work with is that in our code um, in Chapter 13.24.460, Section A4, it's related to special events and organics. We stipulate that there must be a green organic bin. Um, One of our haulers has a brown organic bin, so we're going to add the word green or brown uh, to that section, and that does uh, meet 1383 requirements related to colors. So with that,
0: (laughs) so I just want to say, I don't know if any of my colleagues noticed it, but she did about 90% of that from memory. Did you notice that? I just want to say. Thank you. I acknowledge that thank you. and also thank you so much for moving the commercial pickup time back to 6 a.m. I cannot tell you how many people's lives we changed colleagues by giving <laughs> the city control over commercial pickup because in midtown and downtown getting woken up at 4 in the morning when those dumpster trucks came through your alley was horrible and when we changed that man people's lives changed Great. through you. the waste services program. I mean there you go. Thank
13: you.
0: Changing lives every day. All right, do uh, we have any public comments on this item, Madam Clerk?
1: We have no public comment on this item.
0: Okay, Uh, colleagues, turning first to the Vice Mayor.
11: Thank you, Madam Chair, but uh, boy, you know, I mean, if this was the old Solid Waste Authority, uh, we'd have some public commenters because we like the trash talk there,
13: and- ba (laughs) uh,
11: But, and seriously, uh, you know, I I do miss, uh, I do miss, I think it was the worst mistake That we separated the solid waste authority, and um, you know it—it was a—it was—it was was, as we called it the the divorce, you know, (laughs) because the other partner didn't want to be part of it, Um, and uh, it's unfortunate because 1383 is such a big lift, and having to do this in an uh, an expanded time, uh, plus also the opportunities and the ability to do use innovation. could have been um, well positioned, and we had just started a study with uh, with uh, Sac State and their engineering and environmental science department about, you know, what could we do um, with uh, with one of the state requirements, but also the need to to capture uh, what's more dangerous than CO two, which is methane, like twenty five times more um, dangerous than um, than the NOx that we see out there, and so, you know, first I have to say, and I, I want to thank. The city staff because uh, you know all of you were lived through that experience and i 'm not surprised that she did it all by memory because <laughs> some of it is, a, uh, is a PTSD um, from, uh, from that experience um, you know i 'll start by, by saying that uh, um, I appreciate where we are today, thank you you know and um, there is one benefit that we had we had we did have a difficult time for the central city at the solid waste authority, and being able to do have a little more control specifically here. Um, there's a benefit to that, and, uh, um, and particularly when we were looking at tools of how do we do trash pickup around, um, you know, bus stops and whatnot. We started that. I think being able to control that a little bit in our own cities is, is, a, is a benefit. Um, n- number one, let me start off uh, with the franchise fees. Uh, uh, one, I, I have concern, actually, of using all the, fran- or the franchise fees for the Sutter's Landing landfill, and that landfill serviced a lot of residents service commercial folks but a lot of residents and so um, you know uh, it is a a cost to ratepayers and residents but I um, but I I worry about what's the marginal return based on how much franchise fees we have versus how much we spread that cost over all the ratepayers so that I wanna I wanna explore that before we come to council uh, because the reason um, and very controversial we increased the franchise fees on the commercial haulers uh, significantly to address illegal dumping and to address the quality of life issues of you know, uh, you know uh, uh, mattresses and uh, kitchen stoves and you know, uh, and other you know, uh, equi- other trash being dumped in front of people's homes, particularly around the commercial corridors, but all those communities around the commercial corridors. Like as soon as you pulled off of Stockton Boulevard on McMahon, somebody was just unloading a truck on one of the avenues, and um, uh, and to, and and so the franchise fee was increased at that time uh, controversially, and the haulers after the fee was instituted, the haulers were very engaged and wanted to make sure that. That it was used appropriately, so I think we 're going backwards and even though that policy decision was made by a different authority it 's still coming from our haulers but they that are in within the city of Sacramento now the majority of the landfills the majority of the haulers are also in my council district, and so I, I also um, you know have a lot of interest in this because they 're also the employers of a lot of the people here too, so and they are they're, they're a great career the city's also one of the largest ones there, so I would like to look at uh, you know have a conversation about you know our needs on the franchise fees uh, and what uh, and what we're, how are you how we've been using them since we came over? I know some of them were used to just get started up because you know we had to basically create a new department uh, without any revenue to do so, but uh, we used to have about a million point two million point three in unallocated uh, revenue coming from the, um, from the city portion of the franchise fee. So I, I wonder where that, that's at. And we, would usually, we, would add, we, w- we started trying to do a program with the, um, the P-Bids um, to be able to help increase that, that service. So I think that would be a, um, uh, uh, a unique way. So I'd like to maybe have a further conversation on how the franchise fees, but in my opinion, uh, addressing the illegal dumping um, has to be has to be top priority because that's what the fee was increased for, and that's where the major need is. And if we look at three one one, that's what we're seeing. You know, so um, the uh, the other piece is on thirteen eighty three. Um, you know, we're uh, right now hopefully regional Sanitation District will move in the direction that it needs to to create. Uh, you know, uh, a, a fuel uh, looking at fuel cells and but more importantly the production. Um, of hydrogen production from its um, uh, digester uh, as a uh, localized source of hydrogen production. Um, I would hope that we would start looking at also how's the city engage and what's our policy moving forward uh, on that aspect of it? How are we look, when when we know that there's going to be uh, a change in, in the needs for heavy duty vehicles, I do think that our heavy duty vehicles as we transition out of um, natural gas vehicles that, uh, those heavy-duty vehicles will probably be better served by hydrogen vehicles. I'd like us to see: Can we be involved, whether it's through regional sands or ourselves, in meeting some of our diversion goals? Um, to uh, to look at how do we produce our own hydrogen, um, and uh, and obviously the city itself probably not, but maybe a combination with the city and the county. So you know, this today is a conversation about updating our codes to make sure that we can basically replicate an entire agency that was dissolved. But I think we need to take this time to also think through about what is the next 20 to 30 years of uh, us managing our solid waste as um, as, as important. So uh, those are, I think, the, the, the two big pieces um, um, that I think we should be considered. Uh, and the other piece is uh, also, uh, the last piece is, and this is much more uh, maybe a question for uh, uh, the the city manager on the on the management side because there's questions about how our franchise fees are used or uh, enterprise fees are used and and how we compensate our workers many of our workers uh, in the franchise fees department have been working extremely long hours they have long shifts they have the trash has got to get picked up so uh, I want to I'd like to see you know is it uh, does our franchise fees also uh, or uh, have the ability to Make sure that we're um, recruiting, retaining, and compensating all the workers that are involved on the city side um, uh, to address those uh, uh, those needs. Uh, if the compensation is being done well, so those that's a that's a I think a conversation that needs more exploring since we're coming from the solid waste authority to here. Um, but uh, but very clearly, at the very least, the most urgent need is the trash and illegal dumping, and I think. uh, That uh, would benefit all of us. So, uh, with that, let me stop there, and and, um, I'll make a motion to move the item uh, with the direction that that you know we look at uh, having a further conversation at how the franchise fees are used, and then two, um, having a a better uh, you know coming back to this body in the future about meeting our thirteen eighty three goals. Um, and looking at and how do we uh, look at biomass as a, as a option for us? Um, thank you, Madam Chair, I'll stop there.
12: I'll uh, second that motion, as long as any of that direction doesn't
13: destroy the timeline that was presented. <laughs> <laughs> um, no,
11: we're, I mean, I don't, I mean, is that going to destroy the timeline? It,
13: well, the 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 piece, the, the franchise fee piece is the piece that does have the timeline on it. There's no other L&L meeting um, uh, between now and December, so before budget. So well, I think the vice mayor was talking about having maybe a staff discussion. And that's, sure what that's, that I, that's what I, I assumed I wanted yeah, to yeah, confirm. Yeah. So thank you. Excellent. Thank and you. I just um,
12: wanted to clarify so we were all on, 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 <laughs> on the same page.
13: Okay, okay so thank right. you. then
12: I'm, I'm good with the second. Um, and then I just want to say you know thank the staff um you know i i jumped in after the the great divorce but i serve <laughs> on the sanitation board so i am getting up to speed on all the fun stuff trash related um and i always think we're better together so thank you as a city for our leadership of trying to mirror with what the county's doing i think it just makes it easier. Uh, I had sent earlier questions, my staff had, so thank you, Erin, for taking the time to answer those. Um, The one I think that bears a little repeating, and and you already gave the answer, but for for record, um, especially the large special events uh, requirement to donate all leftover eligible food to a food recovery entity, Um, I'm really interested as to how we're going to implement that because we need to be thoughtful I think people want to comply But how are we helping those who are going to put in those applications comply with the requirement? And they don't get unnecessarily dinged because it is a lot
13: It is a lot Um, and I do want to take an opportunity to thank my staff Margaret Kushebas who's here who has large part of the the staff report and of the edible food recovery uh, answer. I'll be uh, sharing with you Um, so uh, in uh, 1383, uh, we are going to be required, or we are required to recover edible food. Um, speaking of we're better together, um, there is a MOU that the Council approved about a month and a half ago. Uh, we are part of a regional group, which includes Sacramento County and all of the cities in the county, uh, on solving and implementing the 1383 requirements for food recovery because. Food knows no jurisdictions, right? Neither, neither does hunger. Um, food um, generators who are have to participate in a donation are divided into two groups. There's the tier one group. Uh, those are your grocery stores, your Costco's. Um, they also are the ones who sell the most stabilized food, if you will. It's packaged. It's prepackaged. It's, it's pretty much um, stable. Uh, we have 133 tier ones in the city uh tier two is defined kind of by square footage um by large event space um we have about 55 of those that we've identified across the city um, those uh, tier twos will need to in 2024 begin to be part of a food recovery process. They're much more of a challenge. These are large restaurants. We're talking Golden One Center. We're talking the convention center when they're having, you know, the you know 2,000 plate dinners, those sorts of things. Um, so what the regional group is starting to look at, and these are these are just general solutions that are being thought through. Um, I doubt we will probably be implementing a tier two. A recovery program until late 2024 when it does happen it will be region-wide it won't just be in the city but some things that are being being tossed around are there there's an app for that Um, apps that um, that we're looking at that um, these tier 2 generators would be um, enrolled in and when they have food they're like hey I've got five plates of egg foo young you know and you know different uh, food organizations or even individuals claim it they go drive over pick it up and they get that meal so they're looking at those sorts of things they're looking at um with hospitals are also part of the tier two group um potentially collecting uh, food that they haven't used taking it to a ghost kitchen for lack of a better term and turning that into stews and other things and then freezing it so that it can be stabled and used later on and not have to be consumed within the short time frame that that cooked food needs to be dealt with. So those are the kinds of things that the regional working group is going to start to explore um, to try and solve for that. It's not going to be easy, um, but um, like you said, we're better together, and and hopefully um, that's something we'll be able to bring forward to you in the future.
12: Perfect. I'm just curious and want to (laughs) stay up to speed on that because I think a lot of people, events, others are going to you know, it's going to be hard to roll out and get people to understand in the coordination. I know there's going to be bumps. I think ultimately where we want to go is great. Yeah. Um, but just how we have some um, grace and understanding that this is not going to be perfect when it rolls out, but striving to... Do the right thing.
13: Uh, so far, and I think it's a benefit that we um, live and work in the same, um, and just across the street from Cal Recycle, our regulator. Uh, that we're we're under close scrutiny because they live and work in our in our in, in our city. Uh, but they have seen the work the work and the strides that we have made, and we are considered um, uh, not a, I don't want to say a star, but I don't want to put words in their mouth. But we're we're on the we're on the forefront of a lot of that. So they do give us grace because we have shown that we are we're working towards these things. So
12: Well, and I just want to say thank you, because a lot of that is relationships, um, and I appreciate all the hard work staff is doing with that. So that Mm -hmm. was all I had. uh, I appreciate
0: that. And um, recognizing that P&PE is supposed to start in 25 minutes, and Aaron could easily regale us for hours about the waste system. And John, I mean, we want to just, (laughs) I think if you want a briefing on that, you should totally talk to them. John once got to tell me that there might be a bunch of snakes in my neighborhood. That was a fun meeting. I will never forget that call. Um, Thankfully, there (laughs) wasn't. <laughs> but you know the unending trials and tribulations of yeah. the things you all get to deal with. I know the vice mayor had another comment, but I did just want to stipulate to the point of hydrogen and biomass and biogas. Um, there are significant environmental justice concerns with these new technologies. Platforms are coming out right now on those, and so I just want to caveat and make sure that staff is aware that I have significant and it's an evolving, especially as hydrogen kind of come onto the field and has become more popularized. Um, it's something that doesn't often remove fossil fuels. It just decarbonizes fossil fuels and I think uh, there's a broad concern about where this technology gets used where the pipelines go and and Generally what our goals are so just putting that out there on the phrase since the vice mayor brought up biofuels and vice mayor last comment, please
11: Yes, uh, this is uh, to the you know um, more for the the city attorney city manager's office Uh, uh, You know, we just had um, soul bloom and uh, aftershock and one of the concerns that came about was uh, when we do have events the multiple different departments and the, and some of the you know for events that are that are not contiguous here around that for the for the producers and the providers that we uh, make sure that we're doing a better coordinated effort on what their requirements are for those types of events and collections. This will be on top of what the fire marshal and what code does and everything else. This will be another thing that they'll have to be concerned about. So I just I want to ask that the depart that the department work with. Um, all the other stakeholders and there's going to be more on that conversation but i just want to leave it at that because uh, it is another level of uh, complexity that will be added
13: agreed the two you mentioned are on county land and county property and therefore we will convey that information to our county partners they they, they that's where but we we do and, work with them yes but that. we just Thanks. want to do
11: that in- Hour.
0: We doing it for our <laughs> yeah. the problem, yes. That'll be us. Erin knows everything. Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you all for the comments. I think we have a motion and a second. All in favor, please say aye. Aye. Any opposed or abstention? That passes unanimously. Thank you, thank you. very much as always. Any council ideas, comments off agenda? Any public comments off agenda? Great. Those of us who get to sit on this dais again in 20 minutes, we'll take a quick break, and the rest of you are adjourned. <laughs> are you guys,
2: are you gonna-